All right, we are live. Snakes and Stogies, episode 86. Uh, unfortunately, Justin is tied up this evening, so I will be doing the show solo. But we are joined by a very special guest, Mr. Brian Hughes, um, from <laughs> Rattlesnake Solutions in Arizona. Um, before we say hello, Brian. <laughs> Thanks for Make sure me. your audio's. Yeah, sorry, the audio is a little delayed. My apologies. Yeah, oh, we yeah, can hear we you pretty a good. Bit of, we have a storm coming through right now, so um, if I disappear, it's because of that. Okay, no worries, man. No worries. The uh, as always, uh, again, we're brought. Oh, you see the rattlesnakes in the background. I love it. Um, tonight's show is brought to you as always by the fine folks, the Gendra. At Puget Sound Pythons, check them out. They're up there. If I can do that correctly, um, any kind of pythons, colubrids, all kinds of fun stuff. Check them out. There are our sponsors. Again, for those of you chiming in a little bit late, Justin got tied up tonight, so I'll be flying the ship solo. But uh, we have a very cool guest, a guest that I've actually been watching for a while, and uh, Mr. Brian Hughes of Rattlesnake Solutions. Um, Let's jump right into it, man. Sure. I had to fix my Wi-Fi for a second. It's good now, though. I can hear you a lot better. That's all right. So uh, let's hear a little bit about you, man. I mean, I actually, I'm pretty sure that you and I actually have a mutual friend, uh, Rachel Pickstein. Yeah. And Rachel, yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. friend. Yeah. She, yeah. She, um, she's a very eccentric one, but she's a... Uh, She's good. she's a good friend. She loves she snakes live and uh, super far from. Well, she, we I used to live actually kind of near her, so we've been. I think the last uh, I, her her pool party was the first post COVID party that I, I went to. Oh, nice. No, Rachel, decently. Excellent. Um, yeah, so Excellent. I'm I'm a I'm I started out doing herping. I mean, a lot of us do that. I'm not, I'm not sure who all uh, you know, kind of what your your target audience is. But I imagine there's herpers in it. A lot of people that do field herping, but Arizona is awesome for that. Um, oh yeah, I started a business, so I get to do that professionally now, which is great. Um, I, you know, a good good example of the way that the whole balance works is you know, the other night I went out to go do some field research. I brought some friends with me. Uh, we found like you know twenty something rattlesnakes, or no, actually maybe less. That's the total count. And then I came while we were leaving. I got a call from somebody to come catch. A rattlesnake in their in their yard so i went there and it was a mother with a bunch of babies uh so i caught them and then then i went home by the time i got home it was like 3 30 in the morning and i decided to walk around my yard and i found a uh, a diamond bag so it's this whole rattlesnake thing is all day every day for me now uh, very cool it's great yeah that's awesome there's a hell of a collection behind you man and we'll, we'll definitely get into that a little later sure um i almost totally forgot and there's some people asking uh mm -hmm. Uh, normally when we do this, Justin and I, you know, at Snakes and Stogies, we're both tobacco enthusiasts. Um, we usually talk about the smokes that we're smoking that evening. Tonight, um, because it's such a bold show with a bold guest taking care of bold animals, um, I went with the Siri B God of Fire in a Maduro Robusto. So for those of you curious, that's what's getting smoked tonight. Um, I'm sure Justin is having a cigar wherever he may be, uh, but I don't know what it is. So you'll have to blow him up later and ask him. But uh, so, Brian, how'd you get into rattlesnakes, man? Or, or herps in general? 
Uh, same, probably same story everybody has. When you're a kid, you like dinosaurs and stuff. And dinosaurs are, uh, you might not know this, all dinosaurs are dead. So uh, <laughs> it's a bummer if that's your thing when you're a kid. And then there's reptile books. And then there's reptiles in your yard. And then it progresses. And um, I live, I moved to Phoenix. And if you live here, you're probably into rattlesnakes if you're into reptiles. Um, nice. And uh, tended to obsess over it a little bit. So, um, you know, I'm, and if you are talking to reptile people, there's uh, obsessing over it to maybe the point where it, it's right on the edge of ruining your life is, um, is a familiar story. Um, so I'm, I'm happy I was able to kind of turn it into to, uh, to my living now. Very cool, man. Very cool. So I, I found you guys, and I'll say you guys like Rattlesnake Solutions as a whole, because I know there's many cogs to this you know Swiss watch that you're running. Um, I was just scrolling around on Instagram, and I saw, I don't know, I remember what the hashtag was, but it was like, you know, safe snake removal or something, and I wound up clicking it, <clears throat> excuse me, and it was just a bunch of your videos and pictures, and I was like, man, this is awesome, because there's so many nuisance wildlife removal people out there but no one was doing it in the methodical herper way that I see you guys doing it in terms of using the right tools and the right transport containers and educating the people on scene. So many people are like, oh yeah, this is a gopher snake. Yeah, it's, it, it can't hurt you. Thanks for the money, bye. And it's like, you guys take the time to, to talk to the homeowner or the, or the person that called and you know, give them a little backstory and tell them what they can do. And then you all guys also do the, the rattlesnake fencing, which I think is really amazing. So uh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's um, that's I mean it's the right way to do it, and it's even just as a like a business and marketing perspective, it helps us out there too. I mean, it's like it's like if your if your car breaks down, I, I don't know if you're a mechanic or not. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. My Definitely car, not. something goes wrong with it, and um, I need to call a mechanic. My stress that I'm feeling about that is not about the broken car. It's about going through this this cycle that I need to get into now with some guy that I don't know if they're telling me the truth or I don't know if I'm getting charged the right amount and all that right. stuff. So if you're a mechanic, there's a very easy business model there. Just make your entire thing around about not being that, like easing that anxiety and sure. the thing that people fear. So it's, it's, it, ha it comes with its own business model. You know, the more that you can address the real topic, snakes are not the problem. Uh, the problem is that we are building cities in, habitat and destroying things like crazy and our culture hates and fears snakes and creates this um this kind of culture of of uh unwanted encounter of conflict and of fear yeah i mean if you speak to that then the catching snake parts and, and us making money and all that kind of it just it comes it just comes with it and it's it's easier it's better it's it's honest to do it that way because it it you know you're not going from a script it's just how most of us probably feel about these things so yeah there, there isn't like a, a spiel that you give the same person every time for the same snake it's catered to the individual species and the circumstances that you're presented with yeah and, and everyone's different you know i think my my first one today was somebody's yard uh she had a little diamondback rattlesnake in her in her backyard and she had an awesome attitude about it she was mostly concerned about the um the snake safety and making sure that it gets back out there okay those are always good ones and yeah you know, and then while I'm running that one, another member of my crew is dealing with somebody that uh, is imagining a, a a snake that is not really in her car, but right. it is, and 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 then you know other people are calling us and uh, sending us 
pictures of the head, the snake they just cut the head off with the, to no way, oh. you know, yeah. stuff like that. So it's this big mixed bag. There's no one way you can you can handle it. Yeah, and you guys get calls every day, especially this time of the year. We get a lot of calls uh, every day uh, between five and twenty-five, depending on what you know. Today was a, a normal day. Wow. I didn't even check the log, but we probably ran fifteen or so between here and, and, and Phoenix, and it's uh, getting dark in an hour, so we can expect that that to go up by maybe another fifty percent before the day's through. Yeah, I know yeah. on your on your website you give the um, the hours of operation, so to speak, but then mm -hmm. at the same time you guys have the the emergency response numbers uh, is twenty four hours a day. Yeah, I mean it's all the same do you, thing. Do you personally answer all all you all twenty four seven three sixty five, or do you guys have like <laughs> shifts that you do? We are we are too busy for it. Um, so we are we are of this type of service. As far as we can tell, we are the busiest uh, in the world that does this. Um, we get a lot yeah. of calls so in the day between you know sun up and five p.m. We have a dispatcher, and the dispatcher runs calls, so we can be running you know at any given time we're running two or three or four calls simultaneously. Uh, in the evening shift, we have other people that kind of jump on that are more part-timers, and then we have a set number of people that are on overnight. The overnights are kind of a fun shift because you have to go everywhere in the entire city, but there's no traffic. So, um, you know, yeah. that, I do kind of miss that from when I was younger, the, the fun of, uh, you know, I had a day job at the time, but yet it's 2.30 in the morning and I'm driving um, much faster than is legal with, with music that is much louder than is safe for your years to go do something <laughs> not, that is not safe and it's very fun <laughs> that's the way to do it though right <laughs> yeah <laughs> let it be known on snakes and stogies podcast we do not condone speeding and or loud music at late hours of the evening to retrieve said snakes <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was that was a long time ago it wasn't wasn't recent so a long time ago it was about yeah. eight months ago <laughs> <clears throat> so yeah man uh i feel like uh normally we my co-host Justin's here. We do a little bit of banter. We have a little bit of this and that, but there's so much that I'm intrigued with you and the business and the beautiful animal enclosures you have behind you. So how long have you been doing, I mean, like legit doing the rescue thing and predominantly working with, with rattlesnakes and a lot of venomous stuff? Um, around 20 years. So I, I started out doing volunteer work with the Arizona Herpetological Association. And I was, um, you know, I was, obviously very, very new back then and just kind of wanted to, I think a lot of people are probably like this when you discover that there's other people that like reptiles. It's easier now that, oh, yeah. that but I remember, you know, when I was 20, um, seeing, we just called it looking for snakes. You go run around and look for snakes. And then I discovered yeah. that there was this group of people that did this and you can, you can go buy a snake hook. It's not something that's just like on, you know, for unlike wherever you scientists buy things, it's a thing. You right. Can, so I got a snake hook and did all this stuff, but, um, you know, it's just, it progressed pretty quick and I started running relocation calls for them. And, um, in two, 2008, after that recession, um, I was a, I was an art director at a, at a tech company and, um, got laid off like a lot of people did. So it was kind of this all hands, all skills on deck thing. Like what, what do I know how to do to pay my rent this next month? What skills do yeah. I have? To do? And I knew how to make businesses and I knew how to catch snakes. I'm like, well, there it is. I mean, I should do that. <laughs> so yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. So 10 years we've been, we've been growing, um, you know, the original at the beginning, it was a lot slower, but now, um, it's, uh, it keeps me in insanely busy during much of the year. 
Yeah, and and so you're in Tucson, but you cover Tucson and Phoenix. I'm in I'm in Phoenix. I'm actually oh, okay. in a place called Cave Creek that's just north of Phoenix. But we have we have a separate crew that's in Tucson, and a separate hotline. Uh, we have a crew that's in uh, Prescott, Sedona area that has one guy on it right now, and um, can be hiring another one soon. So, um, you know, and it, it's we have around 30 employees right now. So wow. it's, it's no longer. We're kind of turned from a small business into kind of a medium-ish sized. Uh, it's still pretty small, but for um, for a reptile business, 30, 30 employees yeah. is a decent sized um, thing to be moving around. It's very impressive. Thanks. It's it's fun. I just do whatever I want now, which is <laughs> I think what <laughs> we good. all want to do, right? Just kind of. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the perks of of supervising is. You have less physical work per se, but you're pulled in 50 different directions. And I'm sure you have those days where you just want to go drive and just catch a snake, just catch a snake, catch a snake, and a snake. And not That's all I want to do a lot, a lot of the times. I mean, um, I mean, in the hour preceding this, it was, I'm just dealing with a lot of like employee things happening. And, you know, and this, that's, that's how that goes. Eventually, all, all, all jobs, even the most fun jobs, become jobs. At some point, but um, yeah. but I still get to take take the time I need to when I need to do it, and you know, even though that I need to catch up later, I still don't have a a uh, boss, so all that's good. That's all good stuff. Yeah, very much so, man. That's fantastic. That's awesome. The um, I was just looking at you. You were to go talking about the snake fencing, and I never really noticed people have that. I mean, I know it's more prominent in the Southwest of the U S um, nobody down by me. I'm in Florida. Nobody down by me has anything like that. Yeah. Um, but you want to elaborate on that a little bit because it looks like you guys do like the full installation and there's different grades and different, you know, I guess packages, if you will. Um, you want to yeah, it's, it's pretty simple really. Um, and it's, uh, it, it just, it's a fence that keeps snakes out and we don't attach it to anything. It's like the fence that's behind you. You have like a, a like the, well, yeah, that might be a window. I'm looking at, but a really popular thing here in Arizona is a thing called a view fence. It's like this iron bar fence that goes around the yard. Um, if you attach materials to it, so rattlesnakes can't climb up and over it, then um, then they, they can't get in. Um, the trick is to um, uh, make it so that, I mean, rattlesnakes can climb. They're not the best climbers and you don't, they, they can do better if they're encouraged to do it. Right. So like, that what I usually talk to people about is the, the grocery store. Um, if like I can't climb on top of the grocery store, I, I'm not, I don't have that skill, but if that's where they kept the food and that's the only food I'm going to be figuring out how to climb onto the grocery store and backyard, oh, yeah. the same thing, just make it really hard for them. And unless they're exceptionally motivated to do it, that they're not going to come in there. So, you know, some of it's harder, like swing gates and moving parts and anything that needs to kind of come together because a baby rattlesnake, um, a newborn sidewinder can fit through a gap a third of an inch wide. Wow. So imagine having a, you know, 20 foot rolling gate that needs to scissor close to a quarter of an inch. And that's, that's what we yeah. got to do. So um, a lot of it's specialty work. All of our crew needs to know a lot about rattlesnakes. That's one of our biggest challenges is hiring. Because we can't, uh, you can't just get somebody, even someone that's like a, an artisan welder and, and an iron worker uh, that knows how to build these fences. You need to be able to look at all these little situations and go, can a baby, can a, a neonate rattlesnake get through that? And if you yeah. haven't seen enough of them doing things, I mean, half of our installers keep rattlesnakes. 
as well. So we have, you know, it's it's an all in kind of thing. Um, yeah, it's become um, a larger and larger part of our business. It's not something I find as fun, but it, it does. The goal of finding a solution to this whole problem, right, of somebody has a yard and they're scared of snakes and we want to keep them safe and keep the snakes heads on their bodies. Um, yeah. They're all part of the same the same thing. They don't care if they're on the other side of the fence. So you're dealing with between the patio and the other side of the fence, you're dealing with 20 feet. You're trying to keep a snake 20 feet away from the place it would like to be. It makes the whole conservation challenge seem a little more, you know, digestible that way when you have some yeah. tools like that. Yeah, it's fascinating, man. I was I was scrolling through like pictures, some of your gallery and stuff, and mm -hmm. obviously the Instagram page. The Instagram page is awesome. I, I love the the first person view, you know, with the camera on the on the gentle giant tongs. Like that's just that's super cool, man. I mean, I've seen a couple of people do it before, but you guys are really like getting it. I like it. <laughs> yeah, we get a lot of uh, we get the, we get a lot of stuff for content. I mean, we have every one of you know, 20, 20 rattlesnakes a day and, and um, we have to organize it so that it's all fed out and like we have we don't even post all the snakes we catch uh, some of them just aren't they're not interesting or i don't know how many how many super muddy atrox do you see in the bottom of a bucket you know we just try to yeah um one of the cool things that we have noticed that the instagram and other content that we've made is having this effect is this context training with people where we've seen that um, people that have, uh, you know, that they don't see snakes in their yard. A snake is hiding under a bush in their yard or in the gravel or something. It's camouflage. They don't see it. So by looking at all these pictures that uh, we take when we get to the, the site, as soon as we see the snake, we try to take a photograph right there of how it's sitting. Um, by people looking at those over and over again, they build a search image and they've been able to see snakes in the yard that they don't feel like they would have been able to otherwise so there's something to that i don't know exactly how to use it other than just to keep posting these these photos um maybe something to, to teach kids how to see snakes better sure um, they can stay safe but um it's i don't know yeah the photos have a, a ton of use and things like yeah that. the um there was one where uh i guess it was is it marissa excuse me marissa yeah marissa her. so mm -hmm. yeah i noticed there was one where she was it was a gopher snake in like a, a, a stone flower bed and the snakes like almost almost four and a half five feet long and when you first look at it the camera's showing you this this rocky crushed you know lava rock flower bed and you're like what am i looking at here and you're expecting to see like the bald up atrox in the corner and mm -hmm. the the snake is literally stretched out in front of you and it isn't until she actually touches the the, the gopher snake or mm -hmm. the pine or excuse me bull snake mm -hmm. that it moves and you see it and you're like wow that i would have never seen <laughs> You know, and, and I'm one of the guys looking for them, you know, so. Yeah, the, the it's pattern super works. You know, it does. It's it's made to break up the, even when it's on just concrete or something, that, that the camouflage that's made to just break up the shape, like that digital camo type type thing, it, it works really well. Um, and we get, you know, occasionally, actually more than occasionally, there are there are more than one snake at a place. And um, the, the times that I've considered, you know, things that are a close call are when you, reach down to pick up that gopher snake and while you're down there you look and there's a your, your knuckles right off the nose of a big diamondback that you didn't even see because you're have you ever seen that video yeah. of like um like these kids are bouncing a, a basketball and you're, you they ask you like count the number of times that they 
bounce the ball. And then when it's done, they say, okay. did you see the gorilla? And that's what, oh, yeah. Yeah. So like you didn't see it cause you were tasked with bouncing the ball. So that happens to us. Sometimes we have to, you know, we're so caught up in like looking for the snake that we don't see snakes. That yeah. Happens. There was a, I did a situational awareness training one time back in college mm -hmm. and uh, they basically were studying kids and younger kids who had a curfew and essentially what's going through the psyche of a kid who's late coming home and how he's going to get chewed out by mom and dad. Mm -hmm. And they put you in the front seat of the car and they say, all right, tell me. And the, the, someone's in the, you're in the passenger seat. There's a driver in the driver's seat. The driver has the little clipboard with the notes and says, tell me when it's 9 PM. And you're just sitting there. You're looking out the window, you're playing with the radio, mm -hmm. whatever, you know? And then finally you're like, all right, it's 9 PM. They go, okay, how many times did a motorcycle drive by? <laughs> and you're like, what? Yeah, what? <laughs> and it, it's it's very similar, man. Very similar. You know? Yeah, I mean that's and, uh, that's just being safe in the field too. I mean, do you do any? Yeah, you, you get in the field decently. I do. I try. I try to as much as I can. The problem is the majority of the wild wilderness around me is mm -hmm. a lot of private property, mm -hmm. and even though it may be easily accessible, you still respect you know the property owner and yeah. don't trespass mm -hmm. and do that kind of stuff. Um, so we do a lot of road cruising, like a lot of road cruising. Uh, we have what's called the wildlife management areas or WMAs, which is public hunting and recreational land. Mm -hmm. uh, and we'll do a lot of hiking through there and stuff. But there's a lot of snakes in Florida, but most of them are not communal in any way. And the odds of you finding one or more in one single spot is almost slim to none, just because yeah. there is such a diversity of good places to be. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Um, our rattlesnakes don't den like yours do. Um, yeah, it's hard. I, so. I, when I go to Florida, I don't know what, what the hell to do because it's where's your rocks? Where do you guys keep your rocks? Because yeah, can't, yeah, I can't find your mountains, and I know um, <laughs> the way that thermodynamics work. I understand. You also have this uh, water water stuff there that we don't really yeah. have a lot of. There's so, just a little bit of water, just a little bit. <laughs> so the stuff that works out here and really anywhere in the desert, desert Southwest, I can, you know, I can find, uh, you know, speckled rattles. That's actually one of the, um, I have a, I research these animals in, in a number of capacities, uh, outside of just herping. Um, and that's, that's one of the top things we do is like for speckled rattlesnakes and tiger rattlesnakes in estivation areas. And they can reproduce that, um, very well. And then I go to Florida and I'm road cruising and I have no idea, you know, I'm like trying to Google what a stump hole is and figuring out, <laughs> you know how this thing yeah. all works. it's just such a different amazingly different environment you know they're still oh, yeah. but wow how do you how do you start yeah and it's and it's crazy because the small amount of field herbing i've done on the southwest i mean i've herped with rachel in uh where did we go we went to tonto national forest and we did um the lost dutchman um and then i just recently did some stuff with the npr boys in west texas and it's amazing the temperature you guys have out there and how it's well in excess of 130 degrees on the rocks, 140 degrees in the rocks mm -hmm. and stuff's still living out there sitting under a, a bush or a piece of sage or whatever. While as if it's over 90 degrees in South Florida, nothing is in sunlight. Not, nothing is anywhere. It's, it's, it's buried in a hole somewhere. You know? Well, they don't have, they don't have a choice. I mean, uh, so one of the interesting things that uh, clobber, just when he was back in the days before ethics, right? When they, when they wanted, how long can a rattlesnake survive without a head? I don't know. Let's cut the head off of a few hundred of right. them and count. Um, they, he was testing with 
upper thermal thermal uh, terminal body temperatures. And surprisingly, um, like a, a horridus in in the northeast and a sidewinder that lives in you know sand that's 160 degrees, um, they they die around the same temperature. So really? it's easier to modify. It's it's not your metabolic. Uh, tolerances it's your behavior so they have a whole lot of series of, of behaviors that allow them to live in that and um, one of the problems that was all, all about speckled rattlesnakes i'll say that because that's the thing that a lot of people look for when they're herping um, herpers kill specks often because the thing that a lot of herpers don't understand is that in the in the in the summer here um, they're they're out moving around within a few degrees of their their death temperature um, which is between 105 and 110 degrees Fahrenheit, right? So um, if it is six o'clock in the morning and you see a speck and it's crawling somewhere, what is really happening is it sat there until it's like a couple of degrees from death, hoping for a lizard. And then it makes a beeline for its hole. And if it gets held up in that, you might let it go and, and go on your way and have some good, good photos of that, that speck that you found. Um, and then I come and find it later and it's dead. And that's one of the ones that we've been tracking. So they do live out here in the heat. Um, they don't like it. <laughs> they don't like it any more than, than anything else. Uh, but they, uh, it can make them very predictable. And that estivation period is just like if you're, if you live in the Northeast and you want to go find timber rattlesnakes, you know, you go find a den and there's a bunch of them there and it, it's very predictable. There's high site fidelity. Um, that's the same here in the top part of the summer. It's 115 degrees outside. I can go see, you know, 20 speckled rattlesnakes and a couple of heel monsters if I want to, um, with, with almost no variability, it's like easy. Um, but you have wow. to climb a mountain in the middle of the day and it's lethal. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. It really is amazing. And I know like just some of the stuff that we have by us, it's very, very much stuff will move at a particular time of the day yeah. in relation to its that species that species activity if you will um like we call it the cottonmouth hour which is about 30 40 minutes before the actual ball of the sun goes below the horizon to about 20 minutes after it okay. um, i've never found a cottonmouth any other time of day except for that really? and maybe at like eight in the morning when it was coming from land into water right right when the, the, the earth starts to warm up so to speak um and like we i don't even try to look for cottonmouths unless it's going to be that that cottonmouth hour while as <clears throat> excuse me certain species of you know corn snakes rat snakes neurodia anytime after 9 p.m it's fair game you're, you're just gonna you're just gonna see them that you won't find them anytime during sunlight so it's super cool to know that i i, I don't know if hours are doing the same concept on maybe just a lighter level maybe but that's super fascinating i had no idea about that yeah i'm not sure if i understand this correctly yours do not have it's for the same reason that your you know the, the hibernation period is is different is that you just don't have those deep recesses you don't have a uh without the rock you don't have a cave um and large granite systems it's like uh you know there's conductive um, temperature like it's it's like when you touch the, the handle of a frying pan right if you find a big thing of granite that's the size of a mountain and it's just the top outcrop that's sticking out. If an animal can get into those crevices, the temperature doesn't change at all in there. There's not enough sun on the, that can possibly hit it to change the core temperature of that rock. Meaningfully. Yeah. So without that, which you don't have, um, they, they have to hide, they have to just find foliage. And, and, and that's, I guess, where stump holes are an, appro an approximation of that kind of thing. 
um, yeah. some kind of dynamic that can get get in there and do that. But I get I just get so lost in it. I mean, I've I don't know, I've probably <laughs> spent a month and a half in Florida in the last uh, couple of years here, and it's all road cruising and and yeah, uh, mosquitoes and fun <laughs> fun stuff. Oh yeah, where uh, where about in Florida did you go? Uh, the whole the whole thing. So I've I've done uh, some time in the Everglades and a lot of time in the Panhandle, um, and then just kind of in between here and there. Certainly a lot more that I wanted that I want to do um, over there. But I had I think the last time I was there, I spent a spent a good amount of time in the Panhandle because I wanted to see more more Florida cane breaks and um, just kind of get the try to find all the venomous stuff that's in the state in one trip. This little weird. Did you did you do it? Yeah. Yeah, we did. Oh, that's awesome! That's so, a dream of mine. I've I've never actually done that. Yeah, so. it's a it's a lot of gas. <laughs> I can of, imagine. I can imagine. And weird, weird, uh, and, and something like called boiled peanuts. I guess. Oh yeah, I don't uh, <laughs> look. I'm I'm a I'm a Florida boy through and through. But that yeah. whole boiled peanuts thing, I just can't get behind it, man. That's okay. uh, you know that is that's Georgia people coming south. That's what that is. <laughs> Infecting you. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, it's neat. I like it. I, there's a lot of places I need to go in the state, but Florida's just, Florida's just fun. You know? Yeah, it's Florida. Florida. Yeah, I, I mean, I love, yeah. I love road cruising too. And I, um, you know, I, I don't do it as much here as I used to just because it's more productive for me to hike. But there are right. those days when it's, it's, you know, it's midnight, it's still 103 degrees, and I'm finishing off my like second gallon of water on the hike that I had to carry. And I'm like, I should just, I should just go road cruising. And, <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> There's air conditioning. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I get the feeling, man. I get the feeling. And I will ask this. You know, you guys, you're very seasonal, obviously. Um, it gets way colder by you than it does by me in winter. That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, um, so are the animals in hibernation for the most part, or is it just they're maximizing the amount of heat they can have or that they get on a daily basis. And that's why you're seeing less and less of them in winter. Or, I mean, what's, what's, what's your observations being the guy catching them? Well, temperature is certainly a factor, but humidity is the driver. And this is a thing that um, I think a lot of herpers miss in Arizona that causes them to not find as much as they, they could is that you um, here, even in the winter, so it doesn't rain here in the winter either. Right. So, in the summer, they can move around. They have, they, it's warm enough that they have the metabolism to move and find water and hunt and do things. In the winter, they can't. If they are where they are with the water that they have, if it's getting, you know, if it's 45 degrees in the daytime, they can't go crawl somewhere and go get a drink. Very, you know, they can if right, they're right. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot about limiting that. It's, so there are a lot of days that it the temperatures is perfect it might be february and it's 75 degrees and kind of cloudy and it just feels like stuff we move and nothing is out and the reason for that is it's like they don't trust it um they have the water they have every breath is losing a little bit of it so they need to to keep it um it does mean that there are some really great times in the winter and uh and I tried to break to, to talk to some herpers this last one of the best days that we had this last year was on December 10th of uh, 2020. And what happened that day is it rained, which doesn't sound like all that exciting to you. But we had not had a drop of rain in most of the state since the previous April. Um, there were some little things that came through and you get this nice thing called Virgia, which is a cloud comes and you see the rain coming, but it all evaporates before it hits the ground. 
So that's what happened. Wow. You know, mass collapse of ecosystems, and some places got rain, a lot didn't. So you had this crazy. It was forty degrees outside, and it rained, and the few of us that were in the know were like, "We got to go, go drop what yeah. you're doing, and go," because literally every single rattlesnake in the desert came out, and for wow. an hour or two was all on the surface rain. So. You know, a few of us were just texting each other all day. Like, I'm, you know, what are you up to? I'm on 25. What are you up to? You know, we're all in different places doing it. And that's that's, awesome. We couldn't convince people to go out. Like, I was on Facebook, like, on the, like, the herping group in, in Arizona. Like, get your ass outside right now. Like, go, go herping. I know it's cold. Go. And um, it just takes a, you know, temperature is certainly a driver for reptiles. But there are many factors involved in it and um you know and yeah in arizona water is everything that's the, the reason anything does anything out here that's super cool man that's amazing i never even considered that you know yeah. you know and the, the the npr boys are always talking about being you know student of the serpent and every all of us that keep stuff in captivity all of us that do field herping you know we're constantly learning stuff about the animals that we love so much that we love so much um but that's one thing like I never occurred to me. And I wonder if that is a pressing thing down by me too, because we always say, oh, it's 100% humidity every day. But there's a lot of times in winter when it's 80, 84 degrees, but there's very little humidity. It may only be 50, 40% humidity. And I'm wondering if that's why I'm not seeing the rat snakes that I would expect to see, or I'm not seeing maybe the pygmy rattlers that I'm expecting to see. So that's actually yeah. super fascinating to me. Yeah, I'm not sure. But I mean, humidity has other things that have to do with temperature, too. Um, the amount of humidity in the air can um, can slow or, you know, it can change the, the gamut of variation um, and how fast that happens. So my friend calls certain days where there's a lot of sun and it feels perfect, but it happened too quickly. Um, he calls it an English faucet day because you have you might have a rock okay. suitcase like an English faucet. There's two yeah. knobs on it and you get hot water or cold water. So you right. get situations where it seems perfect outside, but it happens so quickly that the underside of the rock is too cold and the top side is too hot. And that's what's happening out there. So humidity helps regulate things like that. It takes longer, you know, heat in the air takes longer to be acquired or, or lost. So humidity, I mean, I don't know all the things about your environment where you have a lot of it and how, but I'm sure it has, uh, has a, a major effect because humidity and temperature they, they go hand in hand in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's very interesting. I'm going to, I'm going to look more in depth into that because it, it may explain a few theories I have in my mind about certain species and certain times of the year. <clears throat> I also noticed in the past couple of years, um, I mean, I've been in Florida for oof, 22 years now. Mm -hmm. And when I was younger, it was the running joke of it's going to rain every single day from May through September between 3 p.m. and 5 p.m. Mm -hmm. And now a lot of us, especially the herpers, we're noticing that it's raining. It's the same amount of rain every day, but it's happening later in the day. Really? And we don't know if that's because of the global warming and just things getting warmer and cloud shifts moving, or maybe it's because of urban expansion and buildings are kind of, you know, redirecting airflow. I mean, who the hell knows? But it's very interesting to think about the amount of precipitation that's dropped at the time of the day in relation to the snakes coming out when we know them to come out. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 They're looking for, yeah. for different triggers too. And it might feel just perfect to you, but there there's some little thing that you just don't, 
don't know. I mean, that's the that's the fun of this whole thing, right? Is that you never you can 100%. only become more and more confused as you <laughs> right? done it. This, <laughs> yeah. Just when you thought you had it dialed in, you're like, oh shit, I didn't even think uh, about that. Yeah. Uh, and I will say this too is we used to always say right before a rainstorm and right after it, right? And now I've been, you know, I, I have a, my girlfriend's getting into herping now and she wants to go more and more. I'm like, oh, it's, it's drizzling 100 miles west. Let's go now. Oh, yeah. By the time we get there, it'll just be coming up. We'll get the drizzle. It'll go away. It'll be perfect. And nothing's out because it's either waiting for the rain to stop or we just missed it. Yeah, so, perfect. It, yeah, constantly trying to, to decipher that and get that, get that dialed in for lack of a better word. So it could all, it could all be, it could all be just meaningless theory. (laughs) Yeah, of course. Of course. I'll I'll realize this on my deathbed that it was all nothing. It was all just luck the whole time. Right. Right. I mean, well, we do know the earth is flat. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. (laughs) Well, that's one good thing that the, the hotline does give me is that I have some bias control. Oh, nice. So if I go out and and I'm herping and I don't see anything, I'll check the hotline. And if we, if we if it's hopping, I know I just I sucked at herping that night, right? But it's dead <laughs> yeah. too. Like I knew it. it wasn't they weren't moving? Yeah. Vindicated, you know. But so and, and it gives us a really good model of when things actually move and when people run into snakes. And um, yeah, it's it's kind of a neat little side uh, as a project that I um, uh, it's kind of a dream of mine to produce that I'm in the beginning stages of of doing is to. We have a, a tremendous amount of data now. We have, you know, twelve thousand plus, actually, you know, closer to fourteen thousand now records of of wow. rattlesnakes being caught in different parts of the valley. And along with That's that amazing. are locations and time, um, and um, you, we can cross reference that with uh, the like weather underground. You can go and grab the temperature and pressure and all this stuff and moon phase from from their services and out there. So once you have all the all those data you can build something like a predictive engine for herping to where you could put in, okay, here's the temperature. Here's the temperature yesterday. Here's like the seven day average. Here's the moon phase. Here's a seven day average of, of humidity. And it will tell you if snakes are moving or if they should move based on this. So yeah. it's, it, that'd be really cool to have. It might start kind of seeming like cheating if it works, <laughs> but right. I mean, that'd be awesome if you had something that says, you know, stay home or not. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, look, man, the, the fish guys, they got fish finders. You know, yeah. this is the least we could have, right? <laughs> That's yeah. super cool, man. So all these animals that you're field herping on your own or with friends and then the phone calls and the, the response that you get from the people of Arizona, mm-hmm. what's the majority of the species you're encountering? I'm sure it has to do with seasonal seasonal stuff in terms of breeding cycles and temperature and all that, but is it mostly Aatrox or is it just a hodgepodge of everything? At homes, it's usually Aatrox. Um, Aatrox, they are, they're incredibly numerous out here. They're large, uh, detectable, and they're also generalists for rattlesnakes, which are, you know, a specialized genus in, in, you know, uh, particular, Um, but they are pretty general. They can live and make do in a lot of different places. um, They're, They're the trash pandas of Arizona. They are. Yeah. So they'll they'll eat whatever they can. They'll live wherever they can. They'll live in your, you know, in your garage just fine. Um, Just because we came and built a neighborhood there does not mean that they're going to not 
live there. And it's like, oh, cool. You gave me some sprinklers now to hang out in and yeah. from like rats. These are oh, it, rats. I don't know what these are, but they're good. I'm going to eat them. So yeah. um, mostly it rains every day at 4 a.m. Yeah, every day at 4 a.m. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, with it for five minutes exactly. And then it stops. Yeah, right, right. So yeah, lots of diamondbacks and gopher snakes and king snakes. You know, a lot of harmless ones too. Um, that one's tricky because we don't want to catch those. Um, but we also know that um, people will kill them. So there's kind of a fine line to walk there. You know, the elephant in the room and all this stuff is that we make money from it. And uh, we do run into people that think that that is unethical just to do it in the beginning, um, especially on something that is like a, a gopher snake that can't hurt anybody. But we, we always try to talk people out of it if we can. If somebody calls and they're like, I don't know what this thing is. Can you tell me? We're not going to be like, oh, we'll, we'll come catch it and charge you and then tell you what it is. We'll ask if we right. suspect it's a, if they say it's a rattlesnake, we don't question them. Um, because if it's not, you know, you, you can be destructive in that case. Yeah. If you're wrong, you can be dangerous. Yeah. So if someone calls and says, hey, we have a rattlesnake here. We trust them. We go and figure it out later. We don't mess around with, hey, can you get close to it and take a picture to prove what you're saying? Um, right. But if they say, I have a, I don't know what this is. It's black and white banded snake. It's crawling around slowly. What is it? We'll tell them it's a king snake and they don't need us out there. And if they insist, we know what that means. It means that if we don't go, um, they're either going to call someone else that's going to come and right. get it and not do as good of a job as we do at finding a good spot for it to go. Um, sure. Or they can kill it. Um, very rarely will they just let it, you know, uh, do its thing. And we, we succeed about half the time. Um, but while we're there, uh, we catch the snake and then we can talk to them. We have FaceTime with all these people. And um, that's really valuable, valuable to me as somebody that, that spends a lot of time educating people about snakes is, um, is the bulk of the people that need to hear about snakes uh, miss the bulk of information about them, educational stuff, because it takes place in, in nature centers. It takes place. Yeah. In, um, you have to seek it out. And right. if you give any presentations ever, you know, like the type of questions you get at a nature center uh, and the types of questions you get like at a, a church or an HOA meeting on a Tuesday night with people that yeah. are terrified of, they're way different questions. Yeah. And, you know, there's lots of people that do the nature center thing and probably do it a lot better than I do. But um, <laughs> I get a lot of, you know, some, somebody is talking to me and they saw a, a, a gopher snake three days ago and they can't stop crying literally about it. I have experience in talking to that person about how how they feel okay about it. And right. it doesn't have anything to do with snakes. That's the interesting thing. There's a lot of the people that are really scared of snakes or kill them when they see them. Yeah. Uh, the more I'm doing this, the less I'm actually talking about snakes and talking about the way our brains work and the way that fear works. and, and The uh, human element. Yeah, because that's what it is. It's culture. Um, yeah. I, I always thought that, uh, that it was, was there's a cultural element to it. Um, but we, we just published a, a paper with, um, in partnership with ASU about how attitudes of wildlife, um, you know, how they feel about snakes. Um, yeah. one of the really interesting takeaways from that is that people who lived in the country or lived in a place that snakes are at all of the time, and maybe their dog was killed by a rattlesnake or something, and they've had experiences with them. And then you have people that live in the city that have never seen a wild snake at all. Yeah their feelings about snakes were uh, unimpacted by which of those situations they are, which means it's purely culture. It's purely yeah. something that is driven by 
uh, an expectation you have that you use those experiences to flesh out to confirm or deny. So it makes it a lot easier when you look at it that way, you know? Very interesting. Did you feel that the people that came from a more rural environment where snakes were more common than the, the city slicker, was the attitude towards them worse from the city person? Or you, you, do you understand what I'm saying? It wasn't. They're, they're, the, they're the same, but they are the same. Yeah. So it doesn't. So they okay. may, they might hate them and, and talk about it. But the reason why they hate them or talk about it isn't driven by the fact that they have experienced them. The thing that seems to be the, the driving factor there is that. Um, so we've all probably posted a photograph of a snake on Instagram or something. And then this that random person chimes in. Yuck, I hate snakes. Right. Yeah. They are not saying anything about snakes. They are telling you something about them. It is important yeah. for them, the way that they see themselves, that I reject snakes. I don't like snakes. It's important to me. I do this. I, you know, I, I'm a, a country person. I kill all snakes I see and I fix my own car and I take care of myself and I protect my dogs. And protect. There's this whole persona, this, this thing that they believe that culturally they're rewarded by this little tidbit of information that they hate snakes. In city, people do the same thing. And it can go the other way, too. You can have a country person that loves all all animals and loves snakes. And they will also, you know, it's, it's just virtue signaling type stuff. So sure. somebody does that. Somebody killed, grew up on a farm and kills every snake they see. You know, what fact are you going to tell them about snakes that's going to change their mind? They, yeah. they, there's nothing. Yeah. But you can talk to them about who they are and you can... Um, you can leave them with a the feeling that they have, they have a better social benefit, a better virtue signal to appreciate snakes than to not kill them. And yeah. they will, they will flip on a dime. They, they will abandon that opinion immediately. If that, Very interesting. yeah. So if it's just marketing is all that is, you know, Wow. seems complicated. That's awesome. It's just classic marketing. Yeah. But I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't want to call it just marketing. I think it's, you're legitimately helping both people and animals. You know what I mean? Like yeah, it's not, it's not. Yeah. I'm hoping I, that I, I can convince other people that work with snakes to kind of see it this way. Cause I think we all, we all want to, we all want to say, well, the snake is an important part of the ecosystem. You shouldn't kill it because they eat rodents and rodents are, are bad and they control rodents. The people that kill snakes don't care about those things. So the thing like we all do the same thing. So like when we're saying snakes are an important part of the ecosystem, we're in turn just telling the world who we are and we're also right. So you got to get out of that loop and like, okay, this is going to suck. I have to not be mad at this guy that just killed the snake because my intent is to manipulate this person into not doing this again. And I don't care if he knows even why he does it. I just don't want him to kill it. Yeah. So, we all have a lot to, that's what I'd like to hopefully get out of this in the end is to start, you know, maybe snowballing some of this. Uh, there's a lot of people that do a lot of really good education work, but I think that's the, that's the missing component is how to get through those people that we write off. Um, yeah. You know, it's not about snakes. It's about, you gotta, you gotta talk to who, who they want to be. Just like all of us, you know? Right. Yeah. We've always done by me. We've always said there's, there's two types of people that kill snakes. Mm -hmm. People that are legitimately, thinking that they're people that are legitimately thinking they're doing everyone a service. I killed this snake and now I've saved all these humans and these humans, dogs and these, the neighborhood children, I did a good thing. Mm -hmm. And then there are the people that 
that honestly just don't know any better. Like, oh, I, I just that's what you do. You kill snakes. You yeah, chop their heads off. Never questioned it. Yeah. And one thing that I, if someone tells me, hey man, what is this snake? Sorry, I killed it. Right there, it shows me that they were trying to do good, but they weren't. They didn't have the time in their mind. They didn't have the time to really find out if they should have killed that snake or not. They were just, you know, do it, get it over with. If it was harmless, oops, oh well, now I know for next time. But there's the people that get angry with the person that killed it. And instead of saying, hey, you know, that was a California king snake, it was harmless, but, you know, now you know for next time, they get mad at them and they retaliate with something like, hey, can I send you a picture of a puppy with its head cut off? <laughs> yeah, it's not. And it's like, that's not that's not the way we should go about it. See, that's, that's the... The trick of it is that you have to be able to recognize their motivations. So there are, you know, and people that kill them, you know, there are malicious people that just go out and, and kill them just to, just to kill it. And um, for those people, you know, if you are looking at it purely from social motivation, right? If they po if they kill something and they post it and they're looking for praise because right. of it, there is a place for anger. There is a place for you know, and if people do that, like on our, our Facebook page, which happens sometimes, like if somebody goes on our page and, and does the old, you know, only good snake is a dead snake thing. Yeah. I watch it closely and I let I let the people that are on the page chew them up a little bit before I delete it. And the reason for that is just so that they can experience the denial of the, the praise that they were hoping for. Sure. Um, if it's a if it's a troll, it's not going to work. If it's right. somebody that honestly believes that, it's not going to work. But if it's somebody that just belligerently kills things or whatever, so if you can, if you can recognize, you know, again going back to marketing, you got to you got to recognize yeah. the pornographic. Is this a person that is fed on uh, or fed by that type of attention, and they're looking for good attention, but instead they get bad attention? You know, they yeah. at the very least won't won't post there again. Uh, or if they do, yeah. I'm a troll, but you still win because that's a person that's given up. You know. Yeah. So, yeah well put man very well put it's it's interesting to to because we're all herpers and we tend to associate with other herpers and we share photos with one another and we share articles with one another and research papers and all that and then you know in my line of work i work retail most of the people that i interact with are like so what are you doing this weekend? And I'm not going to say, oh, I'm going to go herping because they have no idea what that is. Yeah. I'm going to say something like, oh, I'm going to go out in the glades and, you know, do some photography and you know, try and catch a sunset with my girl. And they can grasp that. And then depending on how curious they are or nosy, whatever you want to consider it, they may say, oh, so you just take photography to clouds or, you know, what are you into? <laughs> and I'll say, well, actually, I, I like reptiles. I like snakes. And then I'll either get the, wow, that's really cool. We have snakes in Florida. Or I'll get the, oh man, you're crazy. You're, you're crazy. And then it goes back to what you were talking about, about that virtuing and like, I never saw it like that. And now, now I'm going to have to really dive into the psyche of each one of those guys. Cause it, it happens more frequently than not. So that's a great way of looking at it. It's um, so <clears throat> advertising and marketing is the, is the most well-funded scientific study that's ever happened. Right. That's, it is science. It's when you when you, you make an advertisement and you measure you try different versions of it and then you measure the results and all that. You can learn a lot about how to do some of these things from from ads. Um, so look at like um, car commercials. Right. Um, they are a great example of of 
they don't so car commercials they some some of them are you know they just they're selling you on the features of the car but most of them are their lifestyle type ads um where they're yeah. trying to capture who you you know they're we think this person wants to be seen this way and we'll we'll do that kind right of, they don't really talk very much about the, the car at all there's play there's things all around us that can kind of give us training on how to identify um types of people and sure about that you know, it's a specialty thing. I, I certainly don't expect everybody on, you know, that that argues on, on Facebook and stuff about snakes to to get deep on this stuff. Yeah. But I don't know. I, I, I enjoy it because that's what I used to do before I was doing the snake thing. <laughs> so, I yeah, man, I, I think it's great. Yeah. I, it, we've been talking for a short amount of time and, and I've learned so much. This is phenomenal. I'm loving this. Good, yeah. Yeah, man. And, and I'm trying to relate it the best I can to my demographic of locals, my, my culture that we have, you know, because we don't necessarily have the roundups and stuff like that. But at the same time, most of the urban inhabitants by me are either from the Caribbean and South America, and they have their own opinion of, of what snakes are and should be, or they're from the Northeast where they're all megalopolis people and they've never even seen a snake in the wild. So they just yeah. have this, you know, misconceived notion that, you know, they're going to spring up out of the toilet and, you know, kill them. So. <laughs> and yeah, they don't care. That's the, and those are tricky because it's kind of, yeah, uh, it's almost easier to work with the people that are from there because you can, you can invoke pride in where sure. you're from. And I've done that here a couple of times where you just, you just ignore how that, what they're saying. And it's like, oh, you're so lucky you live in that place. You have black tailed rattlesnakes there. I really yeah. love, that's amazing. I would love to see those things. And you get in that conversation that like, they can be, proud of where they're from but yeah someone that's just a brand new transplant that i mean they feel that way about spiders and birds and whatever else too you know it's yeah that's a that's a challenging one for sure and yeah you get it's funny mention, more new people than i do out here being yeah i can i can imagine yeah we're constantly growing in south florida that's for sure constantly yeah. expanding and uh one thing that i always notice is the um Oh man, I can't remember. I think it's the mockingbirds. We have mockingbirds by us, and at three o'clock in the morning, they're singing, and people they get all in a in a tizzy, and they're like, "Oh man, this stupid black and blue bird out my window! I'm just gonna shoot it." And I tell them, "You can't do that. It's federally protected, and you know this and that." And I was like, "Man, this is quintessential Florida. Like, you you should be you know blessed that you have this bird in your yard. You know, so many people in Florida are dying to see this bird." And they're like, oh, I didn't know that. And all of a sudden, before you know it, the next time I see them, they're like, hey, man, remember that bird I was going to shoot? Check this out. Look at the nest it made. And it snowballs. So I've, I've yeah, seen what you're talking about. It. They get something for yeah. it. It's nothing mm -hmm. to do with the bird. They right. get, they get right. something out of it. Oh, and you yeah. guys, maybe alligators are an approximation. You, have, you can probably, there's probably some, you know, anything you can put on a T-shirt for tourists. Is yeah. Something, something yeah. To be proud of. You know? Yeah, that's true. I will say this though: uh, since alligators were taken off the endangered species list, mm -hmm. there is a there's people that are fearful of alligators because they think they're big, scary dinosaurs, which is the most common thing, right? Mm -hmm. Then you have alligator hunters who are legitimate sportsmen and conservationists, and they go through the state lotteries and they hunt the areas that they're designated to. And, you know, they only take gators of a certain size and certain age. And, you know, they, they, most of the time they're just getting the meat that they want. And then they donate it to fish and wildlife so that they can do all their, their, their survey and research on the carcasses and stuff. And then there's people that they just don't care. They're just, they're just 
indifferent. Like, yeah, oh, it's an alligator, whatever. So it's a very eclectic group of individuals. It is. I don't know. It's it's going to be different everywhere you go, and it's never going to yeah. go away. But it's not a it's not a new problem either. It's just something I I don't know. I I am fortunate that I get so much FaceTime with um, with people that are not our types. So I yeah. get, I, get to, I get a lot of learning to do, and you know, on on the hotline too. It's an interesting thing. You know, it's kind of related, but. Um, you know, just like every snake call we go on is, is different. The people's attitudes are different every time too. And you learn a lot yeah. about um, just dealing with, you know, uh, people call us and they're crying, you know, or they're freaking out or they're, um, they are mad at us for some reason because um, they're, yeah. they're angry. They're in the situation to begin with and we're associated with snakes. So they're mad at us too. So right. like there's this whole this whole thing, I learned so much more about people than, than snakes just from beginning to end in the process. And when you get to the sure. property, they act. Um, you know, men are funny on this thing. And I'm, I'm not, uh, it's a funny thing. Uh, so snakes and the way guys act when there's a perceived threat, right? Right, right. Um, so I, I, drive, I drive a Prius for this job because I drive around town all day. I want 55 miles a gallon with good AC. That's yeah. what I want to do. I'm not I'm not dumb. I'm going to I'm going to go for the good gas mile. Sure. You know? I sure. Of course. A lot of rattlesnakes in the back of a Prius too. But yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> when I when I roll up to some guy's house and uh, I'm 6'3 and when I when he sees me unfold out of the Prius he gets, <laughs> he gets all upset. And it's just funny because they, they're, they're, I thought you're going to come in like this big giant truck and, you know, like, cause they're, they're so, they're operating on, um, on a mentality of what defeating this threat is like that, you know, like I'm going right. to show up and like start doing karate or something. Yes. And, yeah. You're going to yeah. put your headband on, tie it yeah, real tight, yeah, hold, warm hold your hands, my, hold my whiskey. I'm going to, I'm yeah. just going to like punch this snake in the face for a while. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just a chop. It bothers bothers the hell out of them that I drive that Prius, and that's it's it's one of the joys that I have because then they they follow me around the, the property like making excuses. Well, I would have just done it myself, but my wife wouldn't let me. And you know, yeah, that's oh, that's man, the famous one. I love that one. You hired me, just let me let me do it. It's all yeah. good. I'm not yeah. looking down on you, but it's it's yeah. so, so regular how that happens. Yeah. Do you ever get guys asking like throw them a bone? Like, hey man, can you tell my wife that like I helped? <laughs> Um, a couple, actually, yeah, sometimes. Well, they'll, they'll just jump in and help anyway. And okay, all right. Because they'll they'll like get digging in the bushes and stuff, and they don't know what they're doing, or they'll want to like hold the flashlight or like carry the bucket around. Occasionally, I let them like uh, I let them carry the bucket. The sure. Bucket, you know, just so like you know they they can they you did you did good you helped you know yeah good boy <laughs> you did you, you can go tell your wife you helped you nice. Know, but, that's cool, man. Have you ever had, uh, I'll just say people as a whole, do try and catch it on their own and either help out legitimately or make things horribly worse? Um, so a problem that we have is that they, this happens often enough. Somebody will catch the snake themselves and put it in a, in a bucket and then they'll, they'll leave it in the sun all day and then call us later to come and get it from work. And like, well, it's dead, <laughs> you know. Thanks for helping. Yeah, they yeah, baked it. Yeah, that happens a lot. Um, there, that is the the dreaded thing that happens as we get, or the the neighbor, the hand, the helpful neighbor is the is our enemy. To where we get a call, 
we have 25 minutes to get there. Um, and we have, that's basically a, a clock before the helpful neighbor with a hockey stick finds out that something's happening right. on the street. Because they'll course. come over, and if they usually, you know, sometimes they'll just come over and kill it or something, but often enough, they just come over and make the situation way worse. Like the snake yeah. is sitting in the corner sleeping and it's all good, but they came over it and poked at it with their hockey stick to try to get it into a duffel bag. And now it's like under a tree and a hole in the ground and we have to get it out of there. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, the best situation is just for nobody helping. Um, yeah, we get people who who have let their they let their dogs out to help us for some reason. I don't understand how that works, but it happens. Um, you know, maybe five to ten times a year, I go out and they really? like, they send their dogs out with me to go and like. I don't know what they're expecting is going to happen. Is um, it like a, a like a find the scent thing, or is it like a lassie thing? I don't know. I think. I don't know what they're expecting. Timmy's in the well. <laughs> going to, yeah, I don't think I don't know what they're expecting is going to happen. But like, it, it's not good to have your dogs running around and catching a snake. So I have to stop yeah. everything at that point and ask them to, you know, I like your dog, but um, you know, he's he will die if he comes to try to help. Yeah, it's not, yeah, it's not good. <laughs> I don't know. I see, I see a lot of weird, <laughs> weird people. That's that's crazy. One one time I was working at a pet shop and. They used to get phone calls all the time. There's a rattlesnake in my yard, and you know, 99% of the time it's a Nerodia rattling its tail and the dead, you know, ficus bush leaves. But uh, one time the guy uh, held the phone next to the rattlesnake and you heard it, you know, doing his thing. And I was like, all right, man, I'll, I'll be right over. And I'm like, this is it's an actual rattlesnake? This is no way. And I get there and it was a construction site. And it was about a two foot Eastern Diamondback. And he has it in like this big 50 gallon concrete mixing tub. And I was like, how the hell did it get in there? He goes, well, I picked it up with two by fours, like chopsticks. And I was like, I was like, I told you I was like 10 minutes away, man. You could have just left him alone. He's like, man, no, I, he's going to kill my workers. I was like, okay, all right, all right. So I bagged it up. And, run around and start killing workers at any at any time yeah just breathing fire flying around with its bat wings you know we get that with uh, the gila monsters because people don't know anything about they they, uh, they don't know what to expect with them um yeah and also here we have chuck wallace too so people right don't know the difference between the two so they'll see a uh a chuck walla and it runs across the road and jumps into the rocks and they go oh, gila monsters are way faster than people say so they'll think so they'll see a healing monster in the backyard and they have to act, even though it's a you know, it's the slowest lizard there is. You know, you can't get his get his book of world records slowest lizard. Yeah, yeah, you can't not catch a healer monster. Um, but they will they will some they will find a way to ruin that and make it so that it's like it's crawled into a concrete pipe or something just from poking it with a stick. Um, yeah to keep it in place or whatever. I have no idea. But it's yeah, we have to we have to be very direct with people. Like stay on, stay where you're at. Stare like have a. I tell them to have a staring contest with the snake because it's smart. It says you know don't go inside and get a drink. Don't play with it. Don't do anything. You wouldn't think you'd have to tell people this this much, but um, yeah, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's us. You know, it's people. So sure, sure. So how many healers do you get a, a year, or a season? Um. Maybe twenty or so. Okay. Um, there, you know, that's another one we try to talk people out of when we can. 
you know, if there's a heal right. monster there, they're not, they're venomous, but they're not dangerous. Right. Um, so unless there's something like, if it's for the helos protection, sometimes we'll go and do that. If it's, they call and say, you know, my, my dogs are, they're in and out and it's going to hurt them, you know, and then a heal monster can actually hurt a, you know, bite a dog or something. Sure. Um, or if someone just wants to move, we won't take them, we don't take them any distance. We basically just move them to the, to the nearest available microhabitat that they can survive in. Um, sure. But I always like catching heal monsters. That's always a fun one. Just kind of a treat. You know, yeah, for a whole crew is like that. If there's a heal monster that come call that comes up, everyone's like, I don't even need to get paid. Just let me go. I want to go see <laughs> more away. <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I keep healers, man. And oh yeah. I I would I it would I would love to have seen. I would love to see one in the wild. You know. It's fun. And like I, finally, I don't need to. What's that? I finally figured out how to target them this year more than just kind of like finding them occasionally. Nice. Um, Excellent. So there's. Is, uh, I've seen over 50 of them this year. So this is my, my best. Wow. And a lot of that was very very in March. Um, they're communal denners. That's a, a uh, very little known, poorly documented fact is that they actually den in, in groups, um, often with Aatrox and Melosis. So as soon as I figured that out, it got easy. Nice. That's very cool. Very, very cool, man. Yeah. And, and you're the Gila interactions with humans now. I know it's mostly suburbia and in garages and backyards mm -hmm. and pools and stuff like that, but is it, how do I phrase this? Is it because they're on the move for one reason or another, whether it be breeding season or whatnot, or is it just we've invaded the landscape and they're just still trying to make a living? Um, kind of the latter. So okay. healers, their ranges are really, they have really high site fidelity. They, hang out in, um, you know, they establish a home range and they, they stick to it and they stick to it in different times of the year. So um, a lot of the home um, around, you, you probably saw Scottsdale or something or in Cave Creek where, where I live when you were visiting sure. uh, Rachel. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of those homes are built around these big, bold, like large boulder mountains. And that is, those are places where helos are really frequently found. They live up in the boulders in the winter, and then they come down and, and hunt bajadas during the spring, and then they go and estivate. Uh, in the spring, um, basically, the, there's situations where the helos, they go up for the winter, and they come down the next spring, and there's now a neighborhood there that wasn't there mm. before. So displacement is a big thing. Um, and the, the unfortunate thing is that it's not just because it's a new neighborhood. It's because so few of them actually survive that first year that we don't, you know, the majority of the Gila calls that we get are new neighborhoods because um, it kills them off and it kills them off uh, pretty typically, not just like the plate, the ones that are right from the house, but like the ones in the area, because they have such a, you know, they get hit by cars very easily. Um, they are not great at new tricks. So if they know, if they know there's a hole where they can go escape the heat for the day and they can't get to it, they'll, they'll bake um they get hit by cars wow. a lot. so that sucks uh, on a happier note uh my wife looked at her trail cam uh like 10 minutes before i jumped on the this call with you today and we right. feel a monster living in our backyard apparently oh that's awesome <laughs> yeah so i'm pretty happy about that i have not seen that's super cool yeah you guys got to do a a live a constant live feed like <laughs> webcam in the in the hole of the burrow and just you know 
do like a Patreon thing, man. And give I'd him like a name. To I gotta figure out which, which hole he's in. He just walked across the walked across the thing. And we we just moved in here uh, in December, so I'm getting to know which which reptiles live here and where right. they're at. Um, but we have on living here, like as long term residents, we have um, five Aatrox, two tiger rattlesnakes, uh, one speckled, and now a Gila monster. So nice. we'll see who shows up next year. But I would, yeah, I'd love Very to cool. on it. Are you too? Um, is your area too low on the map, so to speak, for uh, Cebras? We're close. I can go cruise them okay. near my house. Uh, I can climb them over the mountain behind my house and find them up there. I haven't yet, but it's the right habitat. So I know that at some point they're going to want to come down the hill to the spring that's around here. Um, I just haven't seen them. There are lots of places where you can get Serbs with Saguaro. There's the, okay. they're, you know, high elevation forest animals for the most part, but they're. Yeah, so it's not just pine trees. They they branch out. Yeah. So the places that I look looking for them are in um, kind of grasslands with, um, uh, pinion and and um, manzanita and that kind of thing, and that's that's a lot closer to where I'm at. Are the ones that are in that you know manzanita scrubland type stuff? Are they a lighter color, or do they still? Uh, is that is that have anything to do with temperature throughout the year? Or? It can't. Well, the ones that I find in, in that environment, they're they're just kind of gray. They're gray on black. They have a really reduction of the the white banding, um, that's right. thick, and they they lose it pretty pretty quickly so there's some that look cool some of them just look ugly you know when they're like that but right. there are some of the really cool ones where they're just like they're like gunmetal gray and the entire thing is that color um so it, it looks like somebody made them out of pewter and forgot forgot to paint them so they're That's awesome. really cool and i like those ones too because they're also nocturnal so serbs are often very diurnal animals um, the ones that live in the lower hotter desert areas are mostly nocturnal so it's a little pocket population that exists outside of what, you know, there's, there's bias in natural history uh, of a lot sure. of animals where, you know, the majority of what we know about an animal might come from one location because that's the one that the university that, has been studying. Yeah, that years. phenotype, that ho yeah, holotype, so, yeah. But this, uh, these, uh, these, these hot desert nocturnal serbs are, um, they've escaped the, the radar on that. So I like, I like them. And they're close to my house now too. I can... I can be in there cool. half hour from my door. So cool. Then the uh, the tigers you got are they your typical sandy color, or do you get any like the blue stuff? Or not? Yeah, not too blue here. Here they're kind of just a sandy color. But my in my study site in the Phoenix Mountains, they're they're kind of that gunmetal blue. Um, and we found I found an orange one the other night too. So I love oh, that's them. awesome. They're they're, they're such. Um, they are they're really numerous, and a lot of people don't know how. You know, you have this idea that tiger rattlesnakes are kind of rarer or more rarely seen, but if we right. get on them, they're they're the most common snake that's going to be out there, and, and really easy to find too. Yeah, they don't. Um, I think that they are hard to find typically because you associate them with rocks. Um, they're not really rock specialists. They they like lower bajadas and in dirt caves, caliche and that kind of thing. So I think that comes from people finding them as bycatch when they're looking for specks. So you see them. You, you see five specks and one tiger, so you think other specks are five times as common as tigers. That's not that they tigers live in a different place and do different things, even though there's over. Yeah. So. Yeah, they just that. happen to find it right. They just happen to find it with the, with the specks in that area. Yeah. Yeah. Have you uh have you ever had anybody give you a call 
and get something crazy like a roller die or anything? <laughs> um, not in, in Phoenix. I mean, I guess when I was doing, I, I got a, a banded rock rattlesnake last year from somebody's house that was down in that area. Um, yeah, because you're a little too far north for them anyway. Yeah, yeah, we don't get anything like yeah. that. I think the, the craziest things we get are are the, I guess, just the escaped exotics that happen. We don't have anything here like what you guys have. Um, we don't right. have, uh, well, first, things aren't going to survive. You know, somebody could let a cobra sure. out all at once. It's going to, you know, it's 120 degrees. It's, everything's going to die. I mean, it's not that cobras can't survive in that, but... Right, it's right. Specialized, right? It's not. It's not sure. like Miami, where it's like, come on in. We're we're a giant terrarium. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you escape, you'll be fine. Um, we get uh, like calls inside homes for escape retics and stuff like that, and you know, just all the little weird stories that come from that type of type type of thing. Um, for the most part, the calls are pretty. You know, they're fun, but it's it's almost all native stuff. It's almost sure. all stuff that's decently predictable. And if something does seem exciting, for the most part, it means that things are going wrong. It doesn't mean, you know, that's why uh, we, we usually, each year I get pitched for a TV show maybe three or four times. And it's always, a, right. it's never going to happen because of what they want us to do is not anything we're interested in doing. Like if it's, yeah, if it's exciting, then something has gone terribly wrong. <laughs> it's not, yeah, it's to be exciting. Yeah. It's supposed to be just and I'm, I'm sure the, I'm sure as much as the money would be enticing, the way that they want to perceive what you're doing and what we do is not how we want to be viewed per se. Yes, it's not. Yeah. Um, so an example would be, uh, you remember that show, uh, Venom, Venom Hunters? Mm-hmm. Um, they called us about that, and you know the 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 call we had with them was. Um, well, we don't do that. I mean, the, the premise of the show is that people go out in the field and they, they squirt venom into Mountain Dew bottles and sell it to to somebody for millions of dollars or something. You know, and like we don't do right. that, and nobody does that. So yeah. keep asking around. You're going to get some people that say yes, but the like the, just the the nature of it is that well, they're going to they're lying to you. They don't actually do that. So you're going to have a show that. Where people, it's either full of liars, and you'll you'll be upset when you actually show up to, to film, and they're not doing that, or you have a terribly contrived show with a concept that isn't valid. And those are the types of things that keep happening: is that we have a, an initial call with the producers, and their premise for the show is not. It's not even that it's bad. It's just it's just uh, it's nonsensical. It's not like mm -hmm. a, a real thing you could do. And I was right. thinking it's unfortunate because the the work that is actually being done it could it could be interesting if it's done. Um, like I, I have, so I have a, a TikTok page, and I know I'm I'm 42. I'm not exactly the uh, TikTok uh, desired audience, but I right. um, I do a lot of education work on there. You're never too old to TikTok. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to start start dancing on the on this thing right now, <laughs> but. Um, but I found that like there is a voice for just like measured educational stuff about snakes and and sure it just takes a while, while to find it and we've we've hit it we have like a good um, a good uh, I don't know we have like one one and a half million followers on there so we we have found a thing that resonates sure and I have not had to do anything stupid um, in the process nice nice. 
and uh, Bill Bradley from Cold Black Exotic says, what if you change the order, uh, safety, safely catch the snake, crush a beer, chest bump, cruise away in the Prius? I, I think I've done that before. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I, I knew I knew you were fit for this show. I think that's yeah. That, that, that's what it'll be. You can do it once a day. Yeah, yeah right. That'd be fine. <laughs> that's great, man. That's great. <laughs> oh, so behind you mm-hmm. is an amazing display of what I believe to be your collection. Yeah, we have. Uh, and it wraps around. So we um, we keep all the species of rattlesnake that are here in Arizona. Uh, we have licenses for the protected ones as well. So we have all of those. And um, we do a lot of education work with these guys. So um, if I'm going to go speak to a community in Scottsdale, for instance, I will grab the species that live in that neighborhood and put them in a box with me and, and bring bring them. Um, Very cool. We also do some breeding that we do for. So I just um, have a got a, a pair of twin spotted rattlesnakes. Um, nice. Congratulations. Yeah, I'm happy about it. They're they're. It's hard to. The only ones that exist right now in in universities and in Arizona are ones that came from uh, poachers, and they're all these old males that you know. When they die, they just have to. It's unfortunate that the entirety of the educational animals that all these places have are, it's all like f- built on poaching. So yeah, the law enforcement does their job, um, or the laws are made to where they do their job right then ASU doesn't have a twin spotted rattlesnake anymore, that kind of thing. So I, I got a permit to go and, and collect two wild ones under really specific circumstance so that it wasn't impacting anything negatively uh, so that I can breed those and give them to universities and zoos. And same thing with ridge nose and, and all kinds of stuff. So Very it's cool. fun. It's like my dream snake building and that's my office and my, you know, place to... Uh, smash beer cans on my chest and and uh, that's awesome yeah that's super cool man super cool <clears throat> yeah i know uh, our good friend brent schultz uh he had the ability to go and do what you said he wound up uh getting some some price science and willard eye from different localities for a couple of educational facilities and obviously he didn't get to keep them but uh-huh. i'm always envious of you guys that get to go up in those those high alpine and find those those crazy pine needle rattlers it's it's awesome it's awesome it's and i put um I, I put my my group of friends that went with me to the you know they don't get they don't get off easy we had to i chose locations for the permit intentionally that were very difficult to get to just to yeah. impact there's not going to be any like i look on the whole mountain like which, which place will no herper ever go if they're sane all, all right. right we'll go there <laughs> so nice nice so it's fun. And that's they're awesome. Pulling in right now, getting, you know, only one of them is eaten. And some of these are kind of picky and, you know, wild, wild animals can be, can be tricky. Uh, you got to watch them closely just because that's, you know, they all, they all have parasites, you know, right. um, and that's not even necessarily bad, but they can have like a recursive thing if they're just, you know, you have to really get on. Sure. You know, like keeping it clean and all that. Stress so. weakens immunity. Immunity gets weakened even more from parasites and therefore, Parasite load gets off balance and things start to crash and I get it, man. Yeah, so it's all it's all touch and go, but it's easier than when I collected a couple of years ago um, to to neonate willardi, which are like the size of a caterpillar that uh, like <laughs> just don't dry up, you know. Yeah, right. So and they're adults now. Actually, my female is, is gravid right now. So very cool, man. 
Very yeah. cool. It's awesome. kind of a kind of a dream situation. I don't. It's I don't know. I, this year, you know, we have we we live on some property now. We have wild rattlesnakes all over the place. I keep rattlesnakes. I work with rattlesnakes. I do research with rattlesnakes, and then in our free time, um, we go and, and look for rattlesnakes. So I I might try another hobby. It's like it feels weird. Nah, don't yeah, do it. I don't know. I can I can do this a while longer. I think. I was gonna say, man, you're so good at it. Don't don't stick with it. <laughs> that's awesome, man. So cool. Do you keep anything that's not Arizona native rattlesnakes? Mm, I have some other rattlesnakes that just kind of came my way. Uh, I have a panamint. Um, I have a copperhead. Um, this the thing. Oh, I have a a big a big basiliscus that's getting larger. It's a uh, <laughs> Nice. Somebody dropped it off. They said that it was a uh, it's a it's a Mexican West Coast rattlesnake. It's a large, right. large rattlesnake. And somebody um, called our hotline when I was out of town. And said, "Hey, I got a blacktail, baby blacktail. I don't want it anymore. I'm gonna kind of give it to you guys." Like, yeah. So he dropped it off, left it with my with my wife in a bucket, and I open it up. I'm like, I don't. This is not a blacktail. I mean, it has a blacktail. Yeah. Tail. Um, yeah. It's a, it's a baby basiliscus and it, as a baby it was two and a half feet long so it's like four now and it's it's uh nice. pushing five feet and it's gonna put on another foot and a half or so excellent and, um, it's, like a, it's like a grapefruit in the middle yeah it sucks i like i, I don't <laughs> if i ever have a snake i might just get rid of because it doesn't really fit our program too is this kind of a cool sure out but every time i have to uh, get into his enclosure it seems a lot less cool to have because he just <laughs> he's he just, just a goliath yeah he's huge and he just comes at you and he's like yeah uh, trying to hook him is like trying to hook a pineapple he's just got those like big beady fish mac yeah scales just you know he just does whatever he wants and right uh i still like him it's cool but it's almost better if you just got like a snow shovel just scoop him up yeah. with a snow shovel <laughs> yeah, yeah man let him live in there that's fine well, let me ask you this: Was it is he at least like a pretty looking Duresis, or is oh, it like beautiful. something? Okay, good. At least yeah. he's at least he's pretty. It's yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful snake. I'm just scared of him. You know, so like, I'm just scared of <laughs> yeah. animals. You know, and, so, and I, you know, I have like these little beautiful specks that are just these little things and stuff. And then like, mm -hmm. you know, I have some, I have some large ones. I have a, a melanistic Atrox that somebody. Uh, so that's the that's the downside of this too for me is that I get to. My view of the rep, the hobby, is um, is not always good, and it's just because, uh, and, I, and I understand that I have a skewed perspective of it. Um, it's just because I'm in Arizona anyway. I'm on that team of people that has to clean up the mess. So if somebody sure. gets a, you know, every time I'm at a reptile show and you see that thing where you get like two people walking out and they don't have any enclosure and they have their very first snakes they've ever owned in their life, and they're both baby retics and like like well those things i'll see i'll might as well just give them to me now instead of feeding them with rats for a while and then picking them up in the in a park later or you know dead um there's there's a lot of that and it's kind of you know a lot of poaching a lot of uh very bad husbandry and released um we actually put ball pythons on our snake identification page um because when I actually evaluated the numbers of which species we get called to remove on, ball pythons are in the top 15 
snakes that we get. They're like, they're up there. They're more than like a patch nose snake, which is a really common native snake here. We catch more ball pythons than we do patch nose snakes. Um, so we catch more ball pythons than black headed snakes. Um, well, let me ask you, is that, is that because there's that many ball pythons loose or is it because by the time you've arrived, the patch nose is long gone because it's way more high speed than a ball python? It's just because of the, the there's a lot of ball pythons. They're com they're common pets and they're all that's all new. So it's not like we have an established population of ball pythons. We sure. go out and catch a beef jerky like barely alive ball python that someone let go in a park or that yeah. um, that they didn't secure something right. And the same thing for you know uh, Burmese pythons. We we catch them. It's not like what the problem you guys have because they can't live here. They they crawl out and then die, right? Um, um, so it's very hard for things to establish themselves here, but it also means that we see a lot of the really, really bad husbandry that happens where you go and, you know, somebody in a, a landlord will call us and say, Hey, somebody just moved out and they left like some kind of snake in a box here. And you go and you pick up a, a ball python that is just, you know, skin and bones living in its substance yeah. is its own poop. And it's yeah. never, it's never been taken care of. And, so that's my problem with it is, and that's why I'm saying I have a very view. I know, I know that's not what the hobby is, but that's right. fortunately my interface with it is through uh, just the worst of the worst of the, of keepers. Out it there. sucks, man. Yeah, it does. It sucks. I'm, so, I'm sorry. You got to deal with that, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, it gives, it's, it's, I guess it's a small price to pay for, you know, all the, the really fun stuff that we get to do. You know, I, yeah, yeah. You tell me when I was a kid that I would get, you know, somebody's like, "Help! We have a a beautiful blue speckled rattlesnake in our in our backyard. Can you please come and get it? And we'll also give you some cash if you if you do." <laughs> right, right. I will do that for you. And then, yeah, no problem. You know what? Th this time I'll make an exception. This time. Yeah. Okay. Just this one time. <laughs> oh, you got to type just this once. Okay, okay. Yeah. Oh, melanistic atrox. You know what? All right, fine. I'll, I'll sure. Show up. Yeah, and that's where he <laughs> came from. Was somebody um, somebody had some rattlesnakes and some illegal ones, and the way they got rid of them is they just put them all in their in their their Tupperwares and just dumped them out in the desert. Just threw them all out there. Oh. So we were some of them we were able to recover. Um, yeah. Some of them did not. Uh, a lot of rats. You know, this big mess. But there was a little near yeah. um, melanistic atrox now, who is now a uh, cold, a cold, cold bitch of a snake. <laughs> Still awesome though. Still yeah, awesome. I like her. I like and her. that's that's something I just never understood because you know Florida is obviously infamous for people letting stuff go. I get that, but um, in my personal opinion, the media makes it way worse than it actually is. Yes. Yeah. But that does not that does not negate the fact that it has not happened in quite a lot of scenarios. But. I will say this: It never, I never understood the concept of I spent money on this animal and all of its accoutrement, and then I've spent time and love and passion and more money in food and maintenance and husbandry, and then I just ditch it in the woods, like that. I never understood that. Like, why wouldn't you at least try and either try and sell it and get some more money or give it to somebody? You know. Yep. I mean, you'd think that, you know, it's, yeah. it's all impulse buys. I mean, I guess that's the, yeah. we, we do presentations at reptile expos and we, we have really good relationships with, with some. And I, I, you know, I grew up keeping snakes too. So I don't look down on, on that. But the thing that I don't like seeing is when I see like 
at a reptile expo and there's like a, you know, uh, a tank of like 50 baby corn snakes and they're 10 bucks each. And it's like bargain bin stuff. That, yeah. That's a, that's a snake that will live for 30 years. You right. know, and right. when you're, you're, if you don't, um, so that's, it's, it's not much. Yeah. They did spend some money on it, but it's, it's not much and it's not positioned doing that. They're positioned as these kind of disposable, animals so i think yeah. you, get, you get where you get on that you know we don't we're never called out to go pick up expensive morphs we're never called out to go pick up <laughs> expensive snakes it is the right right that you get for 20 bucks at the at the at the shop you know but i mean yeah the uh the the exantic tiger rattler you've not found yet <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, i might hang on to, to that you know but right the, um <laughs> and you know we're fortunate here just because things can't live you know um, like you're, yeah. you're probably right. I like, it's not like things get out at a higher rate in Florida than they do in anywhere else. It's just that like our things, they just, they go out the front door and, and immediately die. <laughs> it's yeah. Not, yeah. It's and not I can good. say, I, I don't, I've, I've not done nearly the, the amount of snake calls that you've done. Obviously I don't do this for a living and I maybe have done less than 50 my whole life. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's almost always either a rattlesnake or a python in their mind, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, it's a rattlesnake. Oh, it's a rattlesnake. And of those times, I think it maybe two or three times it's actually been a rattlesnake species, whether it be, you know, pygmy or eastern or whatever. Um, but I always get the, oh, it's a python, it's a python, it's a python. And twice it was an actual python. The first time was a ball python. And again, like you said, beef jerky, emaciated, full of bugs all over it. Mm -hmm. And the other time was a uh, was a red-tailed boa, and it, it had been it could not have been escaped for more than twenty four hours. Yeah, because it was just mint condition, perfect. It was definitely like a designer style, and yeah, feel bad for those ones because that's just someone's. They probably yeah. didn't, you know, it's an accident. Yeah, mm -hmm. we'll try. I yeah. mean, if we do something like that, we'll try to find the owner if we can. Sure, um, sure. Knock on a couple doors, ring a couple doorbells. It depends. We had, so I'll tell you our worst, our worst one that we okay. had. And it was, it was just for, it wasn't like, it's just a bad story. We had, we got called, there was a, a 10 foot retic in a backyard and it had okay. something. Uh, it was a cat. It had eaten a cat. So okay. our guys go out there with their five gallon bucket and they're like, this is not going to work. So right. they get, they borrow like a neighbor kid's like plastic tote and they sure. get this snake into the thing and they bring it over to me. Cause they don't know what the hell to do with it. And our kind of our unwritten rule here is if there's something that is, um, if, if it's a big, you know, if it's a big snake like that and we catch it and it's eating the cat, you've lost your big snake privileges. We're not going to go sure. looking for you. We'll put it somewhere else. Yeah. 100%. So, I agree. So we had, um, I was going herping for the weekend. So I just, I'll, I'll stuff them in the snake room, which was in my house at the time. And, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna I'll deal with it when I come back, came back, Opened the door to a wall of a, a smell, a, just a, a thick, a thick, gooey. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, the snake had uh, thrown up the cat, and then just sat there for a few days. So that was gross. So I just like peek in there, and I just see like you know, you know, like yeah, yeah. So I'm not dealing with any of this. <laughs> I we're going to find the owner of this thing. We found him really quick. So he showed up at the same time that the guy that wanted his like tub back because they were neighbors. They came together. 
and like we you know and i'm like just take it and they like wanted to like take the snake out and like so he picks up it's like i can handle anything he like looks in there and immediately just throws up in my front yard because the smell of the <laughs> i was gonna like try to like look and see if there's a collar or something or like yeah we're gonna do but like that as soon as i smelled that i'm like sorry cat That's, yeah it's that just it's that sweet snake gurge Ugh. yeah it's it's the that's it's 30 percent poop 30 percent vomit and 30 percent death mixed yeah. up like a nice stomach acidy matrix and it's yeah it, just just not, swamped in that tub oof yeah it's not good so i just gave him the whole tub and like get, get it out of here. yeah yeah but you did the right thing you did the right thing that's the only thing to do yep yeah, oh, that's what he gets for having his snake get loose. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's it. I guess. I mean, he got his snake. Back, but, you know, yeah, I mean, it's not many. And one of these days, we're, we haven't got any. Uh, we've never actually gotten any invasive or, or uh, non-native venomous, which is good. Excellent. Um, that's good. Our our team does not has. I've I've worked with a, a wild cobra, um, not a in any captive scenario. We don't have any training for it. Um, sure. We would pass that on to somebody else. Um, you know, even if it's doable, it's definitely like it's not the kind of thing we want any like on the job training for. It's something we would do otherwise. You know, it's um, that is one of the hard things about this too is that uh, like our insurance company hates us um, because they actually so it. yeah. So we have to we have to do everything in this really tight box of you know here's here's all the things here's our training regimen here's exactly how this is done. Um, we never deviate from it, and that's how we can actually exist as a business instead of a nonprofit. Yeah, interesting. Do you uh, do you keep any crofab or anavitamin or anything on hand? No. Um, okay. And it doesn't it doesn't actually benefit me at all. Um, in Phoenix, there's uh, very ample supply um, okay. all over the place of uh, both the FDA approved anavitamins for everything. Uh, if I kept a cobra, if I kept anything that needed it, I I would absolutely sure. But um, everything here is um, treatable with anavip or crofab, um, which there's no benefit. So. Sure. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. Man. It's crazy. Like just thinking about going, going back to like stories and, and, and crazy scenarios and the things that humans do and the things we have to stop them from doing. And mm -hmm. it makes you, you know, reminisce about stories of yesteryear and some of the things that we may have done or friends may have done. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think that I look back at when I was, you know, 15, 20 years ago and the way that people looked at snakes and the way that people looked at me with snakes. And I look at the people now and I want to, I want to say, I feel that what you're doing and the little bit that me and some of my friends and, and colleagues do, I want to say it's working. I want to say it's helping, you know what I mean? And, and just watching your videos on Instagram, whether they be, you know, 10 seconds or 60 seconds, whatever it is, you, you can hear the, the homeowners, you know, voice inflection. You can hear they're like, oh, wow. Oh, that's cool. All right. Oh, nice. And I know you have a couple of videos of like you caught a gopher snake and they come over and they, they touch the gopher snake as, as you know, uh, 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 scared as they may be, you know, or apprehensive as they may be. And I think that, mm -hmm. I think that that's really cool. Man. Yeah, I hope that's that's kind of we're, we're noticed that, too. And we don't know if it's something that we just kind of hope to see or if it's something we're actually noticing. But we. I guess Gila monsters are probably the thing where that's the most pronounced, where we can see the most. And I remember very much 
when we and I, I'm not going to take credit for any of this. I just think it's a, it's a cultural change. I think Herper's sure. have have a lot to do with this. Um, but Gila monsters in 2010, I remember people shot them a lot more. I remember doing a lot more body recoveries of Gila monsters than we did removals. And um, and now, somebody posts a picture of a Gila monster in their yard on Facebook and the little community group or on Nextdoor. Everyone loves it. And if that person yeah. hurt that Gila monster, they would, I mean, who cares about the ticket that they would get? It's the, the social ramifications for hurting a Gila monster. Yeah. Um, you know, if, a couple of years ago, a girl did that in Tucson. She found a Gila monster in her yard and she shoved a screwdriver through its head. And um, oh, the fish man. wasn't going to do anything about it. Um, but they had to because the the community that, you know, it was on the, like everybody was an uproar. And that yeah. is a new thing. That is a, a new thing that would not have happened, you know, 10 or 15 years ago. So right. I'm hoping that that sea change is um, is going to be involving rattlesnakes soon. I think I'm starting to see the very beginnings of that to where if you see a rattlesnake, it is a point of pride because you're from this place where we have more rattlesnakes than anywhere. And it's something that it's something really cool. And, yeah, you know, I don't care if they like it or not, as long as they pretend to like it and don't kill it sure sure good with me you know yeah man the 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 difference telling someone to either leave it alone and if yeah if you for whatever reason had to mess with it you can push it away with a broom yeah like that i know at least by me has saved so many corn snakes so many yellow rat snakes so many water snakes you know and it's like you said i can't imagine I don't think I have any species by me, at least reptilian, where if you know somebody killed it in their yard, the community would be in an uproar. But it, it warms my heart to know that that was the case with the Gila in that scenario. Yeah, it's it's great, especially it's especially since yeah, especially since law enforcement wasn't going to do anything to it. Mm -mm. You know, it's just that dumb law. All you have to do is say you're scared of it. You know, the old uh, it was coming right for me type of yeah. thing so there's yeah. there's laws on the books that you're not supposed to be able to kill any of these animals really um but all you have to do is well i was scared of it so that's why i sawed its head off slowly and lit it on fire because yeah. yeah i was scared of it and that holds right. up so yeah it's the, a, this the guinness book of world records slowest lizard <laughs> chased me inside my home and attempted to murder me we get do we get so many liars of that stuff too like fire fire like i had a firefighter that told me that before they catch gila monsters they have to like let it chase them around the truck a few times to tire it out before they can wrestle it in and like really you know, a lot of a lot of people that miss you know there's there are uh perception errors and misreads and then there are liars and um it's a lot of liars it's a it's an in interesting thing how it's such an important yeah. role, you know and they don't know you're gonna know um well, they should. That's that's a, you know, a bit of human interest is that somebody will come up to somebody at a booth at a show or that is that is putting themselves out there as an expert on this animal and lie directly to them as if yeah. as you're not going to be able to tell that they're full of it, you know? Right, right. Yeah. It sounds like he had a really defensive male collared lizard that wasn't <laughs> yeah. that wasn't having that fire truck that day. 
<laughs> or he just completely made it up. That's the or yeah, exactly. He just and the, the probability of him making it up is way higher. <laughs> yeah, there's other you know there's people that like they say things with you know. So we did a we did a thing with like the size of snakes. So when you're trying to get with people, you know, I saw a 12 foot snake. We have a, a 46 inch Cerberus, so it's a big Cerberus. And uh, for a number of years, we had it in a little you know 10 by 10 box at our sure shows and had a little card box next to it. Tell us how big this snake is in inches. And you can do whatever you want. So people are like holding up dollar bills and hold it using their cell phones and measuring apps and stuff. Trying sure, to sure, sure. This out. We got hundreds of responses ranging from 18 inches to 20 feet. And people, you might think those are trolling, but we got like all the little yeah. officials too. So when challenged by people that know about snakes, this was at a reptile show, a reptile show is included. People still had, they had no idea but there's a confidence level. So if you looked at, you know, how wide one of these racks are, you know, you I don't know, five feet, two feet. I'd, right. I'd yeah. But if it's a snake, people are like, that was three feet long and 10 inches. Exactly. I know it. Don't question yeah. that because I grew up yeah. with a tape measure. I know exactly what that it was is. Eight inches around. Yeah. Eight inches <laughs> long, right? Or the old, it was as long as it was as wide as the road, which means it was on the road. And, yeah, uh, exactly. You know, yeah, three feet. How, how big each lane is 12 feet, and that went from, you know, one yellow line to the other yellow line. So it's, it's got to be at least 11 foot. It's yeah, like, okay, pal, the, the redneck sure. math that, that right. comes in where they start, you know, doing all that. Yeah. It's all it's like, I love I love telling people, you ever notice how the, the farther straight you look on the road, the road gets skinnier? You ever notice that? <laughs> <laughs> it was way down there. It was only 20 feet long. Yeah, man, that's great. <laughs> huh. Well, sir, we are at an hour and 40 minutes. Uh, where can people find you? Um, so we, so actually, of the things, our Instagram is the one that I pay the least attention to. It's kind of, <laughs> on, it's kind of on autopilot. It's a, it gets reposts from our Facebook page. So um, we search, so our Instagram, I think it's just, yeah, it's just at Rattlesnake Solutions. Right. Um, our Facebook page where it's a lot more active um, and that's where I do a lot of talking and uh, I do a lot of live videos of releases, um, which is important because I know there's a lot of people that do relocation work um, and uh, to do it properly, you need to know exactly where to put the snakes. So I outline that a lot. So that's just at uh, facebook.com slash snake removal. Um, and our TikTok page is at rattlesnakes az. And website rattlesnakesolutions.com, or if you just look up anything related to Arizona rattlesnakes, you will find us at one point or another. Nice, awesome, man. Well, I really appreciate you coming on tonight. A wealth of knowledge. I know I'm going to keep watching Facebook and Instagram, and yeah, I'm glad, man. The, the, I still can't get over the the collection in the background behind you. Like that's just supremely impressive. So yeah, we're definitely going to have. To we're gonna have to do this again in the future and, and get a little more in depth. Yeah, for sure. I'll walk you around it. And, and uh, next, if you're ever in Phoenix again, head hanging out with Rachel, let me know. We'll get out and go see some cool yeah, stuff. Yeah, she. Uh, I'm definitely overdue. Uh, my good friend Brooke, she's a zookeeper down here in Florida. She, uh, her, and I went out to visit Rachel and we did a bunch of herping, and uh, we barely saw anything. But the stuff we saw was all baby stuff and neonate stuff and it, and it was right after a super bloom so mm -hmm. it was it was very cool um but we're, we're definitely do, overdue to go back so when i do i'm 
def- definitively hitting you up. <laughs> okay. Cool, man. So, but yeah, thanks so much for coming on. Um, this is Snakes and Stokies episode 86, brought to you by the fine people, the Gendra at Puget Sound Pythons, right there in the corner. Check them out. And uh, <clears throat> Justin and Jake will be back Thursday night for the Herbiculture podcast. And ladies and gentlemen, I don't know if you're aware of this, but we are exactly 11 days away from the National Breeders Expo in Daytona, Florida. So put your drinking hats on, kids. It's going to be a bumpy ride. Um, Brian, thank you again so much for coming on. And uh, we'll talk more soon, man. All right. Take it easy. So thank you. Have a good night. Bye. Bye, everybody.